wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're taking as our theme, difficult questions about the church. And today we simply ask, what does the Bible teach about money? It's a big one. Today our co-host is Eric Hoare and Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. Welcome again. Eric. Thank you, Gary. It's wonderful to be here and uh, welcome to you. You're back in one piece. I am back in one piece. I've been across there to Melbourne. I've come back again. <laughs> to find the traffic. I tell you what, uh, I have to admit, uh, getting used to those tollways over in uh, in that <laughs> wonderful city uh, is something I learned to drive in, on Parramatta Road in, in Sydney, oh, right. but in those days there were no tollways. <laughs> uh, I go back there these days and I scratch my head. I haven't got a clue where to go. I've come back here to Adelaide and of course we've got no tollways here. They had cars back then, did they? When you're learning to drive. <laughs> Wash your mouth out, Eric. Wash your mouth out. Uh, what a way to go. Hey, the seasons, are, they're really changing. Mm. Do you prefer summer or winter? Oh, summer. Definitely. Even though I'm a Kiwi from New Zealand, uh, suffered through the cold there. It's pretty cold there. But coming over here, I'm acclimatised. I think that Adelaide has fairly cold winters now, and I just love the summer. I love being in shorts and T-shirt. That's why I like daylight. You know, I had a mate at Avondale College who Mm. used to wander around. He was from New Zealand in his Mm. jandals, and, of course, jandals is the really thongs, Mm. uh, but in his jandals in the middle of winter, uh, thinking of how warm it actually was uh, there at, uh, at Avondale College in my in my study study days mm-hmm. tell me eric what do you find as the most rewarding and the most challenging aspects of ministry well the most rewarding i think is just being with the people i, I just love being out there and amongst people who are learning uh, all about christ uh, whether christian or non-christian i just love being out there with them and and uh, and bringing a smile to their face you know uh, it's a drudgy old world sometimes yeah now, and i think humor has a great part so i just love mixing with them and having a bit of laughter and, and doing the bible study together i know that's I one thing that's really that. appreciated about you and that's you know your sense of of humor, you have a wonderful uh, sense of humor. You know how to laugh, and you know how to make people laugh. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love that side of it. And you know, just being with them, um, the love of people is something that Christ gives us. And you know, and we're all got different personalities, and just mixing and and sharing and and being being with them is a wonderful joy to me. Yeah. Um, the most challenging is is when when you know through sharing the gospel, and you see them take a stepward uh, backward step sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and and go back into addictions or whatever that really does trouble me and you can see what's happening around them and the people pulling them away but you know it's their choices it's their yeah, choice yeah, and, and yeah. you've got to leave it up to the Holy Spirit that's Holy something Spirit. that we, we sort of minister continually in through my years of ministry it, you mm. sort of work with somebody for a, a for a period of time then you see them uh, take a step backwards but then they'll come forward and take yeah. uh, take a step forward again mm. and it's you know I think in all of our lives it's very much you know, two steps forward, one step back. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting when they take that step forward, you can see the happiness in 
their life yeah. and they're happy again. And then when they go back, they're, they're, you know, they get a bit angry and, and sour with it. And then it's sad to see, you know, when the yeah. old world gets yeah. on. But something that's really been on my mind these past couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Gary, is two incidents that happened that really troubled me through the weeks. And I've been yeah. praying like mad for it. Uh, the first one was the Whispering Wall tragedy. That was down um, here in Adelaide. Down here in Adelaide. And I've been to the Whispering Wall, I've taken, you know, in a few, quite a few times actually. And it's a, it's a lovely spot. It's a beautiful yeah. spot. Yeah. And to see, you know, that man jump off the, uh, deliberately jump off the wall with his, uh, I think it was his daughter, uh, yeah. strapped to him, actually strapped to him. Yeah. I think she was about nine months old, I think. It was really sad. And there were the witnesses there and, and, uh, children as well, apparently, that was, that saw that. That to me really troubled me. And I've been praying for the family around them. To, yeah, you know, to be yeah, close to them. Yeah. And the other one, of course, was um, Kelly uh, Wilkinson, the lady that uh, had an AVO against her partner. He was quite violent to her, apparently, and she'd been to the police a number of times. She's fearing for her life. And he went round there and pulled her out of the house and set fire to her. Uh, the three kids were inside, apparently, the house, yeah. so, and she died. And, and those two things have really uh, affected me through the week. These weeks. are mm. really horrendous examples of things that are happening in our world right now, aren't they? So much evil, you know. How could somebody do that? Uh, you know, drag the drag his wife out and and the mother of his children. You know, and set fire to her. I I tell you, it's it's there's an evilness that just takes people over. I yeah. think at times, and it's yeah. a troubled world in which we live. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I, would you mind if I had a prayer? Oh, look, we'd people? love you to. Yeah. I'd love you to, Eric. Please, would you pray for those individuals? For sure. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you tonight just thanking you for the wonderful love and for the grace and the wonderful lifestyle you give us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you change lives. And today, Lord, we just bring for you uh, the incident at Whispering Wall, Lord. We pray that you'll be with the family, Lord, that are left behind to mourn. And it is such a sad thing. And it's so hard to understand how this could happen. Uh, but we know, Lord, there is an evil one out there that gets into people's minds and uh, changes their way of thinking and can hurt families and so Lord we just pray that you wrap your loving arms around that family tonight especially the mother of this child Lord that's lost her life and so Lord we leave that matter with you we also think too of Kelly Wilkinson Lord that uh, was fearful of her life and asked police to intervene and uh, Lord uh, she lost her life as well in tragic circumstances and so Lord we just pray too that you'll help the family there as they grieve also we know, Lord, that this world is evil. So, Lord, may each one of us show love and grace and mercy to all that we meet. And may we, Lord, always stand up for truth and for what is right. And so, Lord, we leave this in your hands and, and thank you for hearing our prayer tonight. We pray in your name. Amen. 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 Eric, thank you so much for doing that. I, it's, it's really appreciated, the things that you've actually just shared there. Let's come to our, our world religious news update. Do you know, just uh, just this week, uh, hitting the uh, uh, Scott Morrison, of course, as the Australian uh, PM, and uh, just in the last day or two, uh, the uh, as a result of the Rationalist Society releasing a video, he's actually been in the media concerning religion and belief. Now, the article is actually entitled, I pulled it out of the, today's news, Scott Morrison was the title of the article, calls social media the work of the devil during a Christian convention 
on the Gold Coast. Now, I'd love to get your feedback on some of the things that is actually said in this particular article. Um, in a video, Mr. Morrison, a Pentecostal Christian, said he practiced the evangelical tradition of laying on of hands and praying while working. The vision was filmed at Australian Christian Churches Conference on the Gold Coast last week and circulated by, of all people, the Rationalist Society. You can tell why they are actually circulating this. He also called the misuse of social media the work of the devil and urged other believers to pray against its corrosive effect on society. Sure, social media has its virtues and its values and enables us to connect with people in ways we've never had before, Mr. Morrison said. But these weapons can also be used by the evil one and we need to call that out. Mr. Morrison is Australia's first Pentecostal Prime Minister and the denomination has grown in popularity despite only 1.1% of Australians identifying with it. Speaking of blessings, he told the crowd that he had practiced the laying on of hands during a visit to the Pilbara following Cyclone Serona. I've been in evacuation centres where people thought I was just giving someone a hug. Actually, I was praying and putting my hands on the people, laying hands on them and praying in various situations, he said. You know, hey, as I read this, I, my, my heart was actually strangely warmed as I, as I read this particular article. Now, tell me something. This issue of, you know, he says he practiced the evangelical tradition. I'd call it actually the, the Christian tradition of praying while working. Now, Eric, how do you respond to, uh, to to that type of statement. Yes, I actually, what you're reading out here, I actually saw on television where they had a clip of him actually speaking and saying these things. And, oh, look, it's wonderful to hear that. Uh, I'm surprised at that, actually. Uh, I think, you know, uh, who would know that unless uh, they've actually gone into this part of his life yeah, and looked at yeah, that? Yeah. You don't hear about these in the background. You only hear what the policies are and the way the, the media portrays indeed, them. Indeed, indeed. So this is really interesting to see this, and um, I mean, uh, you know, as a as a minister, as a uh, evangelist, I I pray all the time when I'm working, being led by the Holy Spirit and asking for God's guidance and help to lead me to people. Uh, in my work as a literature evangelist, who was someone that went to the doors, you know, carrying Bibles and Christian books, um, asking to be led to the right people and seeing the miracles that happen, uh, praying is the is was the key. It's part of your life, and obviously in his life. Um, he 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 even talks about laying on hands uh, and doing the Christian thing. So yeah, it really surprised me to, to actually read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I was actually you know surprised and because uh, I, I certainly knew that he was a, a Pentecostal, but mm. to actually be prepared to come out and actually make those statements. Yeah. And to me, the really interesting thing is it's the Rationalist Society. Yeah. He's not the one who's put this thing forward and no. saying, "Hey, this is what I'm doing," mm. but rather the Rationalist Society have actually sent this out hoping to actually condemn him and of course there are probably many rationalists out there that would say hey you know why you know we shouldn't have a prime minister that actually prays but to me i look at this and i I say hey i'm so thankful that we do actually have a prime minister who's prepared to say i'm not the center of the universe and and i'm glad he's called out the evilness of some of the media like facebook you know some of the things let's come to that particular one because i think that one's actually really significant he also called the misuse and i noticed that Mm. of social media the work of the devil and urged other believers to pray against its corrosive effect on society. Mm. Sure, social media has its virtues and values, he said, and that enables us to connect with people in ways we never have.
have before, Morrison said. But those weapons can also be used by the evil one, and we need to call that out. Mm. Um, how do you respond to that? Look, uh, you know, I think some of the social media is wonderful in connecting people. I mean, I've connected with some of my relatives in New Zealand uh, they hadn't seen for a long time, um, <laughs> and it was good to connect up on media, and that's what he's talking about. It's wonderful, wonderful for that, but always with something like that, there's always a misuse, and um, you know, all you have to do is think of the uh, video that went out on the uh, the massacres in uh, in New Zealand in the in the tabernacle, you know, in the places there, which was so sad. But what it does too, when you look at some of the Facebook stuff, and I notice it happening with some of the people I study with, that there can be a misunderstanding on what's been said on the media between one family member and another which can cause division yeah. and even friends stop talking to each other they get the wrong idea and there's a lot of harm that can actually be done through the media through misunderstanding because when we're talking like this we can explain what we're saying but when yeah. it's a sentence yeah. or whatever and uh, and but some of the evilness that's out there is shocking and and, and you know you don't, and the children that are picking up some of this stuff now you know there are safeguards but you just wonder how much is affecting them uh, they just talked recently about how there's a new generation that are using computers and tablets and are on the phone all the time, and that's a worry. The amount of yeah, time being yeah. spent on this social media yeah. outlet. Yeah. So there has to be a balance, and yeah. he's talking about a balance here of what's good, but there's also a lot of evil, out yeah. there. and it's yeah. controlled by the. He says the evil one. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and to me, to me, to actually see someone who can actually understand yeah. the big picture yeah. of what's actually going on here, uh, to me, I say, hey, praise God mm. that you've actually got this type of influence in our country. This yeah. is something to actually have someone who has some values at the very top. Yeah, and, uh, and to this me, is a politician that has who sees a God, and he also can recognise that there's a devil as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's no, I, 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 I really yeah. appreciate it. Uh, mm. Actually, re- reading this particular article, I, you know, if if in fact the Liberal Party had put it out and uh, you know was waving it around, I'd be mm. saying, "Hey, look, you know, we're wanting to get votes out of this." Mm. But when the rationalists are the ones <laughs> that are distributing <laughs> it, I turn around and say, "Hey, you know, I mean, maybe some of us actually should be supporting uh, what it is he's actually said." Well, I didn't even know there was a rationalist society, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably benefited uh, them uh, them as well. Yeah, no, thank you so much for that. Really appreciate what you've actually uh, shared there Eric let's come to some uh, music this is uh, this is the Bessie choir uh, I want Jesus more than anything
the heaven he ruled the universe countless angels waited on his every call but one day i saw choir i want jesus uh, more than anything now that's uh glorious i really appreciated that uh, that particular rendition uh today uh, we have uh, a book a little book to give away to you today uh this book is entitled uh, god's truth can change your life Searching for life's meaning is universal. Every culture in every area has searched for truth. Truth that answers life's biggest questions. Truth that provides significance for daily living. Truth that is certain and beyond doubt. But truth has come on hard times. Have you heard anybody say it? Have you heard, heard it's my truth and your truth? But it really doesn't matter whether there is any ultimate truth. Have you heard that? Have you heard anybody say something along that particular uh, that particular line? Uh, today, our free gift to you is entitled, uh, God's Truth Can Change Your Life. Now, this is written by George Knight. Now, George Knight is uh, an engaging author. I've read a number of uh, George's books. He's a Christian author. He's uh, had, uh, had so many books uh, published, and he is just so engaging. He's an engaging speaker. You'll love uh, George Knight's book, uh, God's Truth Can Change Your Life. If you'd like a copy, uh, your free copy of God's Truth Can Change Your Life, then please text us uh, here at our studio. Now, uh, just put the name of the book, God's Truth, can change your life with your name, your address, and your telephone number, and just uh, text that to o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. That number again is o four triple eight 
808 11. Uh, also, if you've got any comments or questions, if you've got any requests, if you'd like us to pray for one of your needs, please feel free to also text us at our studio. That's 04888 808 11. Uh, we would love to be able to pray for you. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Eric Horn. Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. This week we're taking as our theme uh, difficult questions about the church. And today we're simply asking, what does the church teach about money? Now this is a really significant issue that has impacted the church time and time again. Increasingly the church is uh, is criticized for incredible wealth. You know, I was uh, I was very interested to find just a little while ago uh, that Forbes actually publishes the list of the top 10 richest pastors in the world. I found this absolutely intriguing. Not all of the names you'll recognize because some actually come from, um, from other continents, but, um, just some that you might recognize. Some of them are, are television evangelists. Pastor Benny Hinn is listed on the Forbes list as being worth 25 million, million dollars. Evangelist ben, Benny Hinn, Hinn has also made the list of current world richest pastors in the number eight position. He founded the Orlando uh, Christian Center in 1983 where he performed miracles and healings is best known for uh, healings and preaching and the prosperity gospel he later performed at the miracle crusade benny hinn now worth 25 million dollars if you go to number seven, number seven is Kenneth Copeland. Uh, Kenneth Copeland, of course, also appears on television. He's worth uh, also $25 million. Uh, he's the founder of Kenneth Copeland Ministries. And uh, he was born in 1936 and is one of the pastors that lives what many see as a super extravagant life. He owns a private jet, mansions, expensive cars. He's also the richest pastor in the uh, in the USA, if we come to uh, uh, another name uh, again, a television evangelist that you might recognise, uh, Joel Ustein. Now, this list is simply the Forbes richest pastors in the world top ten. Uh, Pastor Joel Ustein came in at number four. The televangelist Pastor Joel Ustein claims the fourth position on the world's richest pastors with a net worth between forty to sixty million. He's the head pastor at the church his father, John Oostein, uh, founded uh, many years ago. He currently has got a television ministry with over 20 million viewers uh, weekly. Joel Oostein is the richest American pastor uh, in the in the world. Uh, then you've got um, uh, Bishop uh, T.D. Jakes. And he's worth $147 million. Uh, he claims that world's, as the title as the world's second richest pastor in the list with a net worth of $147 million. He's the founder of the Potter's House, a megachurch in America with a capacity of over 30,000 worshippers. He's an author, a filmmaker, an actor, and a singer. Uh, Eric, as I sort of read this, I sort of, uh, I stand in absolute awe. You know, you know, I mean, uh, these, these, Forbes has actually been able to publish a list of the world's richest pastors. Now, 
I'm not sure that I would come anywhere near um, any of those. In fact, my humble, my, my, my family home, I don't think would uh, uh, would classify even in anywhere in Australia. Um, but tell us something. This really brings up the issue of money and the church because I'm just so conscious that uh, certainly when the church is criticised, one of the major areas that it's criticised in is the area of incredible wealth. And certainly if you look around, there are many churches that are actually holding incredible wealth. Now, we're going to actually dig more into the uh, the issue of the wealth of churches tomorrow when we have our president uh, of the South Australian Conference, Pastor David Butcher, uh, is going to be with us. And we're going to chat uh, about this particular issue uh, tomorrow. But bef- to, to lay the... The foundations for that. I'd really like us to look at what the Bible says about money, uh, because this is an important foundation that we come to understand. What what does the Bible say about money? Well, I remember growing up, um, Pastor Gary, and hearing the song "Money, Money, Money." It's a rich man's world. I don't know if you remember that. That, that was Abba, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do remember growing up with that, and I do remember listening to it. And yeah. uh, yes, I, I, I do remember Abba. Well, it's it's amazing, you know, because <clears throat> there is a saying that um, money is the root of all evil. You know, mm. is that true? Is that really true? Money is the root of all evil. Mm. That's what some people say. It's not actually... Comp- well, I do have to have money to live, don't I? That's the yep. re- brutal reality of our world. Yep. But that's not... And often they're thinking of First uh, Timothy 6.10 when they quote. That's not actually what it says when you read the text out. What and, does it actually say? Well, it actually says <clears throat> in First Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So it's saying the love of money. Okay. So it's not actually money. It's the love of money, and it's a root of all kinds of evil. And we know that the evil is actually caused by sin in our lives. So it's interesting because you've got to take the whole thing in context. You've actually got to read First Timothy 6, 6 to 10, where it says, But godliness with contentment, contentment is great gain. So it's saying here that a godliness with a, having a contented life I remember before I was um, a Christian, Gary, uh, that money meant everything to me. Mm. You know, I used to go on the horses. Uh, I'd always take a lottery ticket. Yeah. Uh, money was always on my mind. I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. And, um, you know, you're always out to gain more money. Uh, these, you go into the shopping malls now and there's always people there trying to win the, the lottos. You know, they even sit there looking at the, the numbers going up, you know, and the news agents, and people are, are just wanting more and more money. But it's telling us here... That, that, that text is actually very powerful, though, mm. you know, that says godliness with contentment is great gain. Mm. Now, what does it mean to you to be content? Well, content, I believe, is just, just uh, accepting your lot in life. You know, like what you have is a blessing from God. And um, and to look at your neighbour and covet that uh, the, the Bible says is wrong, and it's being satisfied uh, with your life and what you're doing, and and when you put God first, this I like I love this word contentment because it means peace. Mm. To me, it means peace. You don't have to worry. I mean, it even says don't worry about you know your next meal. Look at the sparrows. Look at how yeah. they live. So yeah. now now we've got a shift from money. We're now focusing on God. 
as a way of living, you know, as a way of, of, of looking to him. Uh, but I love the next verse too, verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Mm-hmm. So why are you worried about it, you know? Yeah. You can't take it yeah. with you, you know? Yeah. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people get eager for money um, and have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with grief. So uh, so it's saying here that uh, the real source of great game, namely, is godliness with a true contentment. And contentment in a biblical sense is a recognition that we came into the world with nothing and that everything we have is a gift from God. Okay, and that's really the foundation of of Christian stewardship, isn't it? You know, because when we recognize that what I have has actually been given to me by God, uh, it actually puts a totally different perspective on the way that I actually view the things that I hold and the things that I love. Yeah, it's a completely different mind shift, if you like. You're moving now away from concentrating on the dollars to actually putting your life in God's hands mm. and then whatever falls your way. I mean, I gave up my job, as I told you once before, you know, about keeping the Sabbath, and that was triple time for me. Yeah. So, you know, that's stepping out in faith and following God's way and, and ending up and a happier life, you know, being fulfilled that way. Uh, and it's interesting too, you know, I mean, I remember at our work when I was a printer, there was a guy there that was very wealthy, he was wealthy out of all of us, and every day he'd be looking at the share market and he was so worried and he'd be cursing if the shares went down. Every day at smoko time, that's what he did, he got the paper out and he was looking through that. So it's a shift away from that yeah. about being worried about all that and saying, well, you know, it's in God's hands. Yeah. Our yeah, life is yeah. in God's hand. I mean, content with that. And, 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 you know, that level of contentment actually brings incredible peace. Hmm. Um, you know, when, when I'm able to say, hey, I'm prepared to allow the Lord to lead within my life. Now, surely, though, I need a certain amount hmm. to be able to live Comfortably, and and God doesn't say that that money is a, is the problem here. It's saying the love of it. It, yeah, you know, we all have money to. We all need that, but it's not. It's saying that you're putting that first beyond anything, and that's your ambition in life, as to is to gain more and more. And you see that in society today, where you know people make make a lot of fortunes through various deals and 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 things like that. But what it's saying is, is that God will give us. Um, you know, our sustenance, but also we need the money to live on. That's fine. But if we put him first, if we change the balance and just concentrate on him and then we have enough money because the Bible has a strong statement about the love of money. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, no one can serve two, mother, two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, God and money. So how do you serve a God if you are putting money as a focus in your life. And that's what we're talking yeah, about here. Yeah. And God, you know, we, God blesses us with money. I, I don't, uh, I have uh, rich friends who have done very well and, and they live a really good life, you know, mm. and, uh, and they've been blessed, if you like. Yeah. I used to hear, you know, saying, um, people in the Christian world say, you know, if, if you're doing okay, well, the devil's got you. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you know Eric. I think what you the point that you make there is actually really important because the the thing which Christianity actually encourages people to do is to uh, is to work 
and earn and be industrious. And often what happens is individuals, when they do that, they actually become wealthy. In fact, as I look at it, in the Bible, there's actually an amazing number of wealthy people. You actually get Abraham was regarded as an incredibly wealthy person. You get uh, King Solomon, of course. You've Mm. got person after person in the Scriptures who were actually incredibly wealthy uh, individuals. And, you know, as, as I look at that, it's not the fact that they are wealthy um, that is being condemned, but this issue of the love of money. You know, I, I'm aware of actually a few, a few people, uh, that are actually incredibly wealthy people. Mm. But the fact is, you'd never know it. No. Uh, in fact, I, I'm thinking right now of one particular fellow. Uh, he, he drives around in a, um, in a, I know that he is a very wealthy person. But he drives around in a car that must be twenty years um, old. Uh, he uh, uh, he has got um, uh, he lives in a in an average house in an average suburb. Uh, and uh, as far as his travel is concerned, you'd say it's all all very average. It's what you'd expect of the of the next person next door, the person who doesn't who isn't isn't richly endowed. And yet he's an incredibly wealthy person. I know that. Mm. Um, and yet the thing that he does. Is he gets his satisfaction from being able to assist those who are struggling in life, and you know, as I look at that, I I, I have got just got so much respect uh, for that particular gentleman because of the way. He actually he utilizes his funds. Mm. You can tell that he is. I, I know that he is wealthy because I know the people that he's been able to assist. But I know that he doesn't love his money mm. because you would never recognize even the fact that he is a wealthy man. Well, really, the money we've been given is a stewardship to us as well, isn't it? Yeah. And the Bible talks often about not borrowing or, or loaning money and that sort of thing you too, you know, and he's given us a stewardship of that, that we do well with what we're given and and uh, work through life. You know, when you come to the end of your life, um, you know, there's always a worry about how much you're going to have when you retire and all that, but God takes care of all that. It's 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 what you're following in, in this case. I I actually got a different view of Matthew nineteen twenty three to thirty. You, may not, share it, yeah. you may not agree with me on this one, but it's interesting when you research it. And this is a good one. It says, "And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And uh, Jesus goes on. It's interesting because um, several commentators talk about this word for camel. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. You may know this, I don't know, but. Um, was Jesus actually talking about an actual camel? Um, uh, because it seems like the rich are in really big trouble. Commentaries suggest he may have been something different. The Aramic, Aramic word for rope is camelon, K-A-M-I-L-O-N, mm-hmm. which is almost identical to the Greek word for camel, K-A-M-E-L-O-N. There's only one letter difference. Mm-hmm. And some commentators say that the word was misspelt and so Jesus may have been talking about a thick rope yeah. that was actually been through the uh, 
put through the eye of the needle, not actually a camel. Wow. There was only one letter. K-A-M-I-L-O-N is rope and K-M-E-L-O-N. So mm-hmm. there's only one difference, which appears in the verse. Some say, you know, they say that. Uh, he may have been referred to. So whatever it is, whether it's the camel or thick rope, it's, it's, and thick rope is, is almost impossible. But that's uh, that's actually ve- that's a very I, I like the interpretation actually there because if in fact Christ is referring to thick rope going through the eye of a needle, it's only when the rope itself gets very it goes through strand by strand that you'll actually get it through. I know other commentators have actually said that uh, there is actually a a gate. Yes. Uh, that yes. Uh, you know. Do, do you want to share that one with us? Yeah. There's other comments suggested at that time there was a type of small gate called a needle mm. as well. And, and still others insist that, uh, Jesus' statement was absurd as it sounded. Actually does refer to the camel. So there's these sort of thoughts there that it, it couldn't well, be. Well, I know that one commentator I actually, yeah. I did actually read, referred to that, uh, that small gate. And of course it was meant for people to come into and out of a walled city late at night. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't, it, there wasn't, a big gate it was the sort of gate where you'd have to bend over and to, to mm. get through and of course if you wanted to get your camel through mm. you actually had to unload him uh, and right. to me uh, there have been some who have suggested that what Christ is actually saying there is that it's only as um, the finance is actually put in its right place uh, that at that point is the rich man able to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's interesting, yeah. So either way, there's some good points to there this. There is, and, there is, yeah. And the thing that really interested me too was uh, when I was reading an article about the, the camels and it says that if it is a camel, then we're all camels because um, according to statistics, um, uh, you know, often we think of a billionaire. Yeah. Somebody that's got heaps of money here. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, statistics show that if you're earning, say, $50,000 a year annually, you're in the global 1% of rich people. And that is just so important. You know, mm. here, Eric, in Oz, you know, I, uh, I, I'm so familiar, uh, that, uh, certainly here in Oz, there are, there are people who are, uh, who are poor. Mm. But, you know, I've, I've actually had the privilege on a number of occasions to visit, uh, Pacific countries, which are really third world countries. Uh, I remember visiting um, Mongolia just after the fall of uh, communism. Mm. And that particular uh, location over there had some genuinely poor people. Mm. And uh, I, I remember people sitting on the streets. They were begging. In fact, their parents would actually maim them so that they would look yeah. worse, so that they would yeah. get uh, more financial support. Mm. And, you know, you're horrified when we hear of stories like this. But, you know, what you've just said there is so important. Uh, in Australia, virtually well, everyone is actually in the top one or two percent of the of the world's wealth. Now, in saying that, I know there are some who are who are struggling, and that and that is something that calls on uh, calls on us uh, to actually be able to assist those individuals. But you know, the thing that really stands out to me is that in this particular country, we do actually have systems in place which are able to assist people. I'm so conscious of the number of people, uh, even in my church that I'm familiar with, who have come from a refugee uh, mm. background, uh, who have uh, who have certainly come from situations where support was impossible. Mm. Uh, you know, as, as I look at this. I say, hey, um, in Australia, 
we are actually incredibly and richly blessed uh, to actually have the the facilities that we actually have right now i'm thinking of our of our poor mates over in india mm. um yeah. i you know I, when i when i consider what they are actually going through at the present time with covid mm. um the the hospitals are not able uh, to keep up with uh, the the rate of infection and the rate of death uh, do you know, as I, as I look at this, uh, I say, hey, you know, this country here that we are actually living in, we are so we are so blessed to be in this particular part of the world. That's right. And, and you know, when I read this text now, I place myself in with the rich. Yes. Um, yes. And, and because we're in that top 1% of the whole world, you know, I've been to the Philippines too and, and Cambodia and I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen the beggars out on the street and I've seen them. I, I know that even some of the mafia get, get people and take them from poor villages and maim them, you know, cut a foot off or something. And they put them out there. I've seen that and, and people have told me about it over there. But the interesting thing to, to so also is that if you have a home that's got electricity, and, you, you know, you've got a computer or a phone, chances are you're in the top tier of the world's most wealthiest people. Yeah. And yeah, so we yeah. can place ourselves in what Jesus is talking about here. Because when you look at it, Pastor Gary, you look at um, the spread of the gospel in um, in countries like us now, and you go back and look at the third world, you look at Papua New Guinea, have such a, a faith that is yeah. so reliant on 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 their food and their weather and whatever. Whereas in Australia and in New Zealand and other places, we are so we're just used to it. And, and you know, That's Eric, even problem. even some of I, I know this is certainly true for your indigenous congregation. Yeah. I've had the privilege on a number of occasions to be actually able to to minister to our indigenous people, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly a, a number of them um, struggle uh, with finance. But do you know the thing I'm so conscious of is that. That, uh, there is a depth of spirituality yes. uh, amongst um, many of our indigenous people that I simply do not find uh, mm. amongst uh, those who are who are rich, wealthy, and greatly increased in goods. Well, it's it's. I think that's what Jesus talks about, doesn't it? In yeah. the Bible, he yeah. says, "Those who are last shall be first. Yeah, and he, he mentions that a lot. And I think this is uh, this is where the money comes into it. That that you know that we are rich in what we have, and that. Uh, we must be very careful that we're always putting God first in our decision making and following the Lord or, or what he's calling us to do and not putting the money ahead, the love of money ahead of the love of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Look, this is powerful. Mm. Look, let's come to uh, to a song. Uh, this is uh, Eddie Espinona, uh, Change My Heart. Oh God, uh, that's a, this is a wonderful prayer uh, that I believe that uh, uh, is so applicable uh, to, to each of us who live in the first world country. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Make it 
God, you know, as I listen to that, uh, a real, a powerful message comes through to me. To me, there's a message there uh, for those of us who live in this part of the world. We've got a free gift for you today. Uh, the gift is uh, God's truth can change your life. Uh, this is a, a small booklet. This is uh, just uh, 38 pages, uh, I, I think it is. Uh, God's Truth Can Change Your Life. It's written by George Knight. He is a totally it's an engaging uh, speaker uh, and a greatly appreciated author. You'll love uh, this particular book. If you would like uh, your own copy of God's Truth Can Change Your Life, just send that title, God's Truth Can Change Your Life, with your name, your address, your telephone number, and just text that uh, here to our studio. At o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. That number again is o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q and A with uh, Pastor Gary. Uh, today our co-host is Eric Hoare, and Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal uh, Seventh Day Adventist Church. And this week we're taking as our theme difficult questions about the church, and we're looking particularly at the issue of money. Um, what does the Bible, what does it say about money? We've been talking about the love of money. Uh, Eric, help us out. We've uh, got a, just a few minutes left. Yep. There's a beautiful little short story uh, account given in the Bible found in Mark chapter 12 and uh, Luke 21. Mark 12, 41 to 44. Luke 21, 1 to 4. Just a few words. But this was in the last week of Jesus' life on earth. And a poor woman entered the courts of the temple. Uh, this woman was would probably have been dirty and, uh, and unnoticed. And uh, it's interesting because uh, here in Mark 12, 41, Jesus was sitting opposite the treasury. He was, he had his eye on what was going on, you know, it's interesting. And he saw how the people put money into the treasury. Uh, I reckon he knew she was coming. Yeah, yeah. I reckon she knew. How did the wealthy normally give their money? Oh, look, great. Great fanfare. I mean, you know, there's even a text in the Bible that talks about Matthew 6 too. When you give to needy people, do not announce it by having your trumpets blowing. Yeah. It's on here. Yeah. I often wonder if, if the saying, don't blow your own trumpet, comes from here, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, do not be like those who only pretend to be holy. They announce what they do in the synagogues and out on the streets. They want to be honored by others. So they do it with great fanfare. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. a big show. But here, he's sitting there watching, and, and, and a tremendous lesson here. And then it says, um, and many who were rich put in much. So here mm-hmm. they are getting out the hundred dollars, the bills and things, and, and putting it in or whatever. And then one poor widow, here she comes, and uh, she threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. That's the smallest coin that actually existed in the uh, in the Jewish nation at that particular time. You know, this is two. Uh, we used to say one cent coins. But we can no longer say I remember that. Those. I remember, you remember those. those. <laughs> you're old enough to do that. Yeah, you're right. It was the smallest coin in the circulation in Palestine at that time. Two mites made up a quadrant, and a quadrant was the smallest Roman co- Roman copper coin. So two of those, two of these mites, equaled a small, the smallest of the Roman. Uh, coins. I took two of them. It was only a few cents, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not even enough hardly to buy a loaf of bread, they reckon. Uh, interesting. And he sees this happening. 
And so he calls his disciples over to himself and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they put in all out of all of their abundance they put in, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. You know, and you've got to understand the widows back then, you know, uh, there was even a quote talking about to how the um, the Pharisees and that would take the houses off the widows, yeah. that it would actually yeah. go into the treasury or whatever. And here she is, even with all that happening, she still wants to give into the treasury. Yeah. yeah. Well, without with, without all the, the government support that we actually have today, mm. uh, you've actually got a woman who's a widow, there is nobody left to provide for her. Uh, and there are some who suggest that uh, this is uh, she's right down on her luck, and yet she turns around and she faithfully gives just a, the smallest possible. In fact, she I well imagine her looking around. She looks to the right, to the left. She looks up. She looks down just to make sure that nobody can actually see her. And then as she breezes past, her hand just happens to uh, to to. to to um uh, to to wander over the the place where the money goes in mm. and as a result she's able to drop it in hopefully and nobody has noticed what has actually taken place and i i honestly think that she would have been scoffed at too that that you know here she what's she doing in the temple and you know why is she going over near the the offering uh, plate you know and but here she was and jesus noticed these these things and the things that are done in the secret the things that are done without fanfare even in a church the smallest things jesus notices and counts them just as valuable as the rich or the powerful or or even a pastor what he's doing in the church yeah. we're all equal in god's sight yeah. but he sees these things and he notices these things and he he, he keeps he notices the little stuff yes you know, and, and to me, that's incredibly encouraging. You know, I, I, I can think of the number of times in my ministry I've actually had uh, somebody come up to me and they've said, Pastor, um, there's that person over there. They're really struggling right now. Mm. I want you to actually uh, go and here's some money for them. I want you to give them the money. I don't want you to tell them who it is that's actually given them the money. I remember one particular occasion I had a, um, a gentleman, he came to me, uh, and he said, oh, look, uh, uh, one of our, our young men in the church had, uh, had a, had a car accident. He was going off to, uh, to university. He urgently needed a, a vehicle. He just simply did not have. He had been working night and day at, um, uh, at waiting, um, at a waiting type job. And, uh, simply this had really put him on the back seat. And, uh, he came to me and he said, look, here's, um, here's $5,000. I'd like you to simply go and buy. Uh, go with him and buy a car. Don't tell him where it came from. Mm. Uh, later on, I went back to him. I gave him a receipt. Uh, I gave him the, the rest of the money back because we were able to get something for a, you know, a little bit less than, than that. Mm. Um, but you know, to me, as I look at that, I turn around and say, Hey, the attitude of mm. people like that yeah. is the same as the attitude of uh, this particular woman mm. who very graciously just slides those uh, two little coins into the temple treasury. It's like sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done it, but you've lost your wallet or and you've got your cards, yeah. and then somebody's yeah. handed in it, the, you think, oh, that's gone, yeah. today's world, and then somebody's handed in, you think, well, that person will be blessed because they're not out for gain, yeah. they have 
you know, they're doing it for the right reasons, yeah, and that's yeah. why it is here. Um, but it's interesting, Pastor Gary, uh, you know, I mean, it, uh, Jesus says to him, Matthew twenty six eleven, what did Jesus mean when you'll always have the poor with you? And, and this this is an important question, us. actually, because, you know, I mean, I, uh, um, I, I remember some years ago uh, an Australian politician made a statement that uh, there'll be no Australian living in poverty in Australia. And uh, at the time I sort of thought, hey, you know, that's a, that's a very ambitious. In fact, I thought it was a very um, out, there, out there statement because I did reflect on it in my mind. And, of course, this statement of Christ in, uh, uh, what is it, Matthew 26, Six eleven, mm. uh, you will always have the poor with you. Mm. Now, is that reality? Well, uh, it's interesting because I cross-reference that in my Bible. Where does this come from? It actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter fifteen, yeah, and it talks there about it. But it starts off here. We need a little bit on this, but it says um, here, uh, but. Uh, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor amongst you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord God has given you to possess inheritance, only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with his care and his commandments where I have commanded you today. So it's saying there that there will be no poor if they had followed the commandments. And and that is such a beautiful thought, you know, because mm. a lot of people don't actually realize that the ancient Jewish uh, commandments did actually concern finance as much as everything else. I mean, mm. for example, uh, once every uh, once every 70, 70 years, I, I think mm. it was, right. we actually had the year of release where all the property actually had to go back mm. uh, to the original owner. Now, what mm. that meant is that I could sell the, my property for my generation, but I couldn't bankrupt my children mm. because ultimately, and you know, if I think about it, do you know there are, there are certain um, processes in place in the ancient Jewish economy which would have meant that there would have been no poor in Israel because the principles and the processes were actually put in place by God himself. And yet by the time of uh, Christ, uh, what we find is, of course, those principles and processes have largely been abandoned. And as a result, uh, what we get today was actually taking taking place. And Christ was able to say, you will always have the poor with you. And, you know, Eric, I'm just so conscious of how true that is today. You know, I, there are so many people who have uh, you know struggled with with misfortune? Some have some have struggled with with sickness. Um, other people have uh, had had misfortune as far as uh, their financial dealings are concerned. Some have uh, have a heritage where their families have come from a refugee. Um, background. They haven't had the advantages of having three generations of, uh, of wealthy parents to actually support them in a country like, like Australia. And yet Christ, what Christ said here was, uh, you shall always have the poor with you. But of course, his intention here is that, uh, generation by generation, we can actually support and assist, uh, the poor. And of course, this is why the, um, uh, this is why churches 
have from time immemorial, I think of, you know, ADRA, which is the Seventh-day Adventist yep. uh, health or, um, organization support. Yep. Uh, I think of uh, the Salvation Army. Uh, I think of Anglicare. I think of, in the, you name the church and they have all got one of an organization that is designed to do what Christ intended. Yep. And I think also, I think this text, these texts here, when you look at them, are saying too that if there was no sin in the world, then there'd be no poor. Yes, that there would be an equal, equal health, equal distribution. But it, but we've got that here. And you're right, Adra and all these other wonderful organisations. I mean, I get food given to me on a Thursday from Second Bites, and this is just leftover food that was dumped before, and now it goes out amongst all the people. But the whole thing, the whole point of today's thing is, yep, that we have to. You know, it's our attitude, putting God first and money second. Yeah, yeah. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, come to you right now. I want to say thank you uh, for the God that you are. Lord, thank you uh, that you uh, have abundantly blessed, uh, uh, blessed your people. Uh, but, Lord, I'm so conscious that there are many who continue to uh, to struggle. They haven't had the same advantages uh, that many uh, have had in this particular country. Lord, I pray that you might be with them. I pray that you might impact us, that indeed you might make us generous and kind and resourceful people to assist those uh, who have that need. Uh, Lord, we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, folks, uh, it looks like our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Eric Hoare on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor David Butcher returns and we ask, does the Bible have anything to say about the wealth of churches? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God uh, richly bless you.